0: Rachel Braun is the producer and correspondent for This Week in Startups, a weekly show hosted by technology entrepreneur Jason Calacanis. Rachel also leads operations for Launch, which is a venture capital and private equity company headquartered in San Francisco, in addition to providing production and consulting services of her own. I first met Rachel when she was an investor at Dynamo Ventures, where previous guest Santosh Sankar is a founding partner. She's an extremely talented marketer and producer who understands the new media landscape in a way few others do. During the episode, we discussed how Rachel's career was formed by the various internships she held in and after college, how growing her own podcast informs her work now, and the tactics and tools used to produce and grow a show of the caliber of this week in startups. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and think you will too. We are Adam and Rachel. Let's get in.
1: Put that content down. Content. For closers only. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Cause you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers.
0: All right, welcome back into Content is for Closers. I'm your host, Adam Vasquez, along with Carlton Riffle. Carlton, welcome to the show.
1: I'm glad to be here, I think. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it uh, goes in the next 20 minutes.
0: Carlton, we had Rachel Braun on the show. We'll get into her interview in just a second. And obviously, she had a ton of. If you, if you don't know Rachel, she is. We, we met her through Santosh Sankar at Dynamo. We, she's done a ton of different things, currently working now at Inside.com with Jason Calacanis and has done a, a bunch of different internships along the way. So, Carlton, for our, our icebreaker, what do you have for us? I know it's intern related.
1: Yeah. So, Adam, I know. I know roughly what you did for some internships, but what what were some of your internship experiences and uh, okay. tell, us, tell us a little bit about your, your past?
0: Yeah, so lots of internships in and probably in a good way, but I feel like I could have maybe been a little more strategic with my internships. We talked a little bit about this, I think, with Landon when, during uh, Landon Campbell's episode. But I had, my first internships were as like in churches, church interns, and I started doing those in high school and then interned at a logistics, supply chain and logistics company, which is weird because we work with some some supply chain companies now, but obviously didn't go down that route. And then also interned at an agency, an ad agency, that was my junior year of college, and then my my last internship was at a, a retail company, just as a sales intern, essentially. And again, not something I probably used for the rest of my, or I didn't go into that field, but I think it did teach me some skills that have helped me in my career. What about you? What, what did the internship landscape look like?
1: Yeah. So I, I didn't do a ton of internships. I did a lot of volunteer stuff throughout yeah. college and I probably should have done more. But my last Semester, you're for a major. We had to do an internship, and I was actually an art major, so drawing, painting, stuff like that. But I did it with my brother-in-law, and he was illustrating the Book of Revelation. So I was able to actually put some some of my design skills to work for that, um, doing basically just taking all of that all of those illustrations and then adapting them for an app. So we were making like a comic book and an app with it. So pretty early on it got me, I got my feet wet with motion graphics stuff and it was a, it was a good experience, but I went, you know, I went to school for art, but I ended up doing more like motion graphics and design in that, in that uh, we called it an internship, but some people now like to call it a fellowship or a, Oh yeah, there's also Padawan, names, Padawan ship, Jedi, <laughs> Jedi uh, ship,
0: Je- Jedi ship apprenticeship. Yeah, it wasn't nearly as cool naming wise when we were doing them. Yeah, but I do feel like that's residency. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of different ones. The connection I think to today's episode with your internship was isn't that when you worked with Chris Diemtopoulos or whatever, uh, who for those of you who are listening, Silicon Valley fans, is Russ Hanneman from from Silicon Valley? That that's, yeah, he that was, was a me.
1: producer on the project, so I talked with okay. him a little bit, but it wasn't like a working relationship as much as it was like I think he was helping to fund it, and he knew the guy that was producing it, so okay, he did cool. some voice acting for some of the test things that we did. We did kind of like a motion graphics test with the with the whole thing, and so he did some voice acting for that as well, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome voice actor. I'm probably a little bit obsessed with him too much, but yeah, I, I think in the internship trail, someone can leave behind them is interesting to see when they end up in whatever career they end up in, which, which Rachel, we talked with Rachel about a little bit on the episode, but before we get to that interview, what have you heard this week, Carlton, that would help listeners out?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to be a little bit of a self-promoter this week and uh, talk about a personal project of mine. I've been working on for probably, well, I guess I started it last month, but I just did a kind of a quick one weekend build. I thought of the idea and thought, hey, I think this would be good for my personal use and let's see if I can build it. So uh, basically it's called Scramble and the URL is scramble.land. And basically it's to help you make uh, good choices every week. So there's a lot of habits apps out there that try to remind you to do something every day. But there's a lot of things that are on a list of somewhere for me that I'd like to have the option of doing, but I don't necessarily have an incentive to pick a different thing each week. So what it does is it just scrambles those, picks one for you, or if you want to just have a list and get a random choice from that list, you can do that too. So it's just a way of like kind of scrambling some good things that I have on the list. So anything from uh, what to eat at a restaurant to what dates to go on, adventures, bike trails, I just load a bunch of stuff in there and then you can choose to get it through email or you can choose to pick it right on the spot.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea behind it when you, when you told me about it, that you were making it. It was uh, immediately I understood the to-do part of it. But then what's fun about this is like, it's not always something that you'd necessarily prioritize if yeah. it was just up to your own brain. And so I think, yeah, the idea of like you were giving the example earlier, you put, you load up the restaurant menu <clears throat> and when it's time to go to a restaurant, you have to order whatever. You have to commit to it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. It makes you do something, something different and challenging. I was talking uh, to some
1: friends and we were talking about different themes we could have for it. We need like an eight ball theme, uh, one that's like oh, a, yeah. a dice theme and, and maybe one that's like a, your wife just telling you to do it theme. <laughs> Did you
0: list? Yeah. Yeah. That's, there there's a I just listened to a podcast this weekend with two of my favorite NBA players of all time, Kyle Corver and JJ Redick. and they talked about Kyle does this thing every year, very similar to what you're describing, where he cannot prepare in advance and he has to go on an adventure that he has a greater than 50% chance of failing at. I love that. And and he like they find out he and his buddy do this every year they find out the week of, or they decide okay. the week of like, we're going to one this time. Like hiking they, the
1: Appalachian trail or what is it? The,
0: yeah. it could be yeah. anything that they, you can't have like a greater than, I think he said 10 or 25% chance of di- like dying, like, they, cause they don't want, <laughs> but it's they, uh, <laughs> yeah. So one time they paddleboarded across a channel out in California that was 32 miles or something wow. like that, just open water. Um, so, so something like that, where
2: you That's can awesome. survive,
0: but it's not easy. So it kind of, your app reminds me of that, incorporating that idea into,
1: yeah, you know, more frequently. That's going to be my next list. Things I have a percentage of dying doing and just fix one, <laughs> one every week for me.
0: <laughs> my have you heard is a, going a little bit of a different route. So Rachel, we talked a lot about new media. We talk about how she's built some some really good engagement and personal branding and, and company branding as well on uh, a bunch of different apps. So listen for that. But going the opposite, contrasting with that, I have recently discovered newspapers.com. Uh-huh. And uh, the reason I discovered it is I was trying to do some research for a client of ours for an advertorial we were writing and needed information about the trucking market in 1988, which is <laughs> a very specific need. And so I tweeted at some of the people that I, you know, Santosh, Craig Fuller, some others who, who are in the space and Craig who owns FreightWaves. Waves. We talked to Preston Holland last week who works for Craig. He, he sent me newspapers.com and was like, there's, there's no data from that era on, on this industry, but newspapers.com, you can just look any search, any topic, wow. any year and it will give you every headline and then you can d- drill down into articles related to that topic.
1: It's unbelievable. So it'd be great for like copywriting too. If you yeah. you know, just scan through those, those headlines and there's some great, that, that era of advertising had just some phenomenal headlines, copywriting that, that was kind of the main way that you did it. You couldn't show it as much visually as you could write about it or make it clever.
0: Yeah, it's what I like to call pure advertising before you artists got in the way perfect words. No, it, it really is a cool, to, to your point, like you can look up campaigns, how brands yeah. communicated about certain things. A lot of really interesting things. So anyway, if you haven't heard of that, check out newspapers.com. But today we talked to Rachel about a bunch of more modern things. She get, she keeps us up to date. She's a, a newer grad. She lets keeps us from getting old. And so I really enjoyed this episode so without further ado, let's get to Rachel Braun from Inside.com. All right, we've got Rachel Braun, who is a producer with This Week in Startups. She was, is and was the chief meme officer at at Dynamo Ventures, and which is where I met you, Rachel. And I uh, appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. This is really cool.
0: Of course, so we, we, we met probably I don't know, how, when did you start your, your what was it? It was January
2: year. of last year, but I think I met you okay. a little bit before that.
0: Yeah, so we we got to work together a little bit on the Future of Supply Chain, which is the the podcast for Dynamo Ventures. And then you were able to leverage that experience, everything you were doing there into your current role, which is Producing This Week in Startups, which is connected somehow with, with Jason Calacanis and his uh, venture firm, is that correct?
2: Yeah, so Jason Calacanis is the host, the creator, and everything like that. And I work with the branch This Week at Startups, which is this podcast. And that does come off of launch.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. So a lot to kind of get to, I think obviously on this show, we talk a lot about how to go about the process of content creation and then what some of the direct business benefits could be from doing so. With, with you, it's a little different because your career in some ways has been built through and alongside your content creations. So I think it's gonna be a really interesting look for people who maybe are coming to it and, and are trying to learn content now at a different stage in their career for, to hear someone like you who you started Brawn and Brains, is that that's your show, right? Your first show when you were at Penn State, right? So we'll talk a little bit like why did you start it? How did that come to be and and, and what is the show to begin with?
2: Yeah. So I guess the first thing that made me really want to start this show is I'm definitely, I'd consider myself a creator at heart. So I do really think that there are some people who are consumers, some people that are creators, and you you can obviously be both. Like I listen to podcasts and I do listen to YouTube videos and things like that. But while I'm listening to them, I'm always like, what could I do to make like this video better, even though I'm not the one behind it? Or what could I do to like create this in my own way? So I always knew that I really wanted to create something, but I've always also kind of known that YouTube or blogging weren't really the mediums for me. I've never really loved writing. I just didn't really think that my words came across as well. And then with YouTube, it was a very visual aspect. And although I thought that was interesting, I think that it did take away from some of the content that I did want to talk about, which was interview style shows. So podcasting was obviously the best medium for me. And it started off with just interviewing other students at Penn State and asking, how did you become like our mascot? How did you become the student body president? Or how did you start a startup? while like managing your your class load. And that was really interesting. And then when the pandemic hit, I was like, Oh, man, like what do I want to do when I grow up? And I started having really awesome conversations with people that were already pretty established in their career. And they were all across the board, because I honestly didn't know what I want to do at all. So I was reaching out to people all across the board. And then, it started getting to the point where I was having conversations with really cool people. So eventually I just moved that over and had them on the podcast, which resulted in having some cool guests on like people that were NFL coaches or the uh, the president of Cinnabon was previously on and things like that. So that was, it's been definitely a, a roller coaster, but it turned into something that was definitely been definitely a lot more impressive than just interviewing my friends and slopping it on a podcast, I think.
0: Yeah. But I think that's, that's a great story. I think that leads well to how, content can kind of work. A lot of times people begin to think of it too much as a transactional tool where I put out a sales benefit and then you buy something as a result of it. Right. And like your, your description, your experience is much more a journey that you went on in order to help just explore different avenues, of, like of potential. You didn't even know, what you, and then that lev, that turned into something much bigger. Which, by the way, is how we started. I've, I've shared this with you before, but like that's how our company kind of got off the ground. Yeah, one thing I have to touch on. This isn't super like I- exactly, but how in the world and and what was it like interviewing one of my idols in life, Dick Vermeil, when you had him on the podcast? I'm a huge Eagles fan, have having my whole life. Dick is like the, what, one of the biggest what ifs in in Philadelphia Eagles history, because he was a great coach. Our owner at the time was a moron. So anyway, huge fan of Dick. That must've been a fun experience for
2: you. Oh, he's just, honestly, he's the nicest guy, but honestly, he (laughs) wasn't one of the traditional ways I got a guest. So normally what I do is I actually, even though I'm a creator, I wouldn't consider myself to be a highly creative creator, which I think people um, misinterpret that if you are a creator, you have to be creative. You really don't, you just have to be consistent. In my case, I really found that like consistency toppled over creativity. Um, So I got to use the little creative juices I had to create something really awesome because I was consistent. Like I didn't have to be the the, thinking of like the hottest trends because I was consistent. So I reached out, I think I documented it on Twitter. Actually I did a challenge for myself where I reached out to one person every day for 100 days. And if you're just consistent and keep reaching out to people eventually someone's going to say yes. So even you only need one guest a week if you're doing a weekly podcast. So even if six people said no or left me on read, you you really only need one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think people really misinterpret that. I I really like this analogy, but there's this story about somebody creating a clay pot and they're teaching students, right? And they say, you can make like one really great pot and just really work on it, like take the time. Or you can create a hundred clay pots and eventually come upon the best one, like that, that final one could be the best. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of creating 100 clay, plots, clay pots is you've gotten to learn all those other things in that journey. And I really do find that podcasting for me was like that. So kind of messing up along the way and reaching out to 100 people and maybe getting like some pretty nasty replies back or getting ghosted or anything like that was kind of beneficial in the end. And that's how I got my guests normally was, as I like to say, just creating a ton of clay pots and kind of like learning as I go, like which email format was the best or was email even the best way to reach out to people? Should I be reaching out to them on Twitter? Should I not even be cold messaging them at all? Should I see if we have a connection somehow? But with mm-hmm. Dick, very honestly, he's a family friend. I've known Dick meal for about two years now. Been to his house. Great, great family. His son went to Penn State, and dick is a has a has a hunting lodge out there too so he's just he's pretty cool. integrated into the penn state community so that's how i yeah, know him even, unfortunately he's not a cool story no
0: i don't think it's unfortunate at all like i i think that's just again i don't like dick vermilio probably has a lot of family friends like that that didn't think to take an opportunity to to have them on his on their podcast so i, I don't i don't think you need to like be ashamed of that at all but but yeah i love your your analogy there and also the the test so i, w- I want to dig into that a little bit more so you kind of like set up these rules where you had to contact 100 people in 100 consecutive days or just 100 people over time
2: Okay, it was supposed so, to be consecutive but christmas christmas stuff popped up so ended up being yeah. more than 100 but originally it was supposed to be yeah
0: okay and how do you know like how loosely how many of those you end up in you ended up interviewing?
2: Yeah. So I think it ended up actually, so I did get a lot of people back that responded. It wasn't the response rate, but it was who was willing to come on a podcast, which was interesting. So I had a lot of people that I would reach out to and ask like, hi, can you give me some advice about career wise? Oh, and by the way, I have a podcast. I would love to hear it on the podcast. And I I would say like a lot, 70%, which is, I would think pretty high. People actually did respond And some like pretty big people too, which was like, it was so cool. Twitter is definitely the best for that. I found Twitter to be like the best medium to get the responses. However, other people, especially in the industries that I was interested in, which would be like other podcasting people or people, for example, I reached out to somebody that worked at Morning Brew. Obviously their day is packed with like media already. So they were like, we're going to pass on being on the podcast, but here's kind of how I approached my career. So I, I only interviewed probably like 30 people and how and I didn't even put all those episodes oh, up good, because they were pretty yeah. repetitive. So probably, yeah, 30% of people I had up on the show or had the option of putting up on the show if I thought it was like a valuable episode. But yeah, I, I was really happy with the challenge. But at that point too, I kind of made it by putting the challenge on Twitter. I think that helped a lot because I would say, oh, I just DM'd like so-and-so and I would tweet that out. So they were kind of held accountable. And <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think I think yeah, by I like doing that. that too, also kind of helped with the response rate.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Doing it publicly is great, and the even if you only did thirty, I mean, first of all, thirty percent is a pretty high return when you consider they're all cold. And then secondly, thirty episodes is more than half a year, so it's not like I think people sometimes get confused when it comes to the content creation process and think like I need to have this entire campaign built out. I need to have all these strategies behind it. And sometimes it's just like reach out to 100 people, and whoever says yes, record with, and then go from there. And and I love that that was your your process. So that sort of led you then to not not led you but the experiences that you gleaned from that helped you i would say when you were working at dynamo part of your responsibilities were related to the podcast and and to the media side of of what santosh and the team there are doing and so then talk about how how you were able to leverage those interests into what you're doing now with this week in startups
2: for sure so Obviously, I reached out to 100 people in 100, in 100 days. That was very well documented on Twitter. And something that I did not do actually when I was in college, and I wish I did, is start building my personal brand more. And maybe this is also something with people that are maybe a little later on in their careers. I cannot stress it enough how important it is to build a personal brand. And you just need to find out where in your industry that necessarily lies for startups and for VC that, happen to lie, that happens to lie on Twitter and on Medium and i didn't have either of those platforms set up so when i graduated i noticed pretty darn quickly that all the people that i really looked up to were on those social media accounts including santosh sankar who was a mentor of mine in college still a mentor of mine today and he's a partner at dynamo and i actually tweeted out i like how many job applications i sent out versus how many responses back i got on Twitter. And from that, he messaged me and was like, Hi, why don't you come to the fellowship at Dynamo? So I think getting the job initially there was super helpful. And we did talk about it prior and he was already a part of my network. So I don't think like if I went to Santosh, I think he also would have proposed the same offer. But I think Twitter definitely helped put myself out there. You know what I mean? Um, in that sense. And then- yeah because I was reaching out, like I said, to 100 people in 100 days. We do outbound in Dynamo. We do outbound in any industry that you're probably in. You're probably having to reach out to somebody and in Dynamo, right. especially in venture capital, that is a very big thing, reaching out to startup founders and things like that. So that helped, helped helped me a lot. And getting on calls with people that I've never met before, especially over Zoom was something that I was already pretty comfortable with. So that part of the job was pretty well covered. And then moving on to social media and the podcast. So obviously, you know about the podcast, their podcast rocks. And it was getting to the point where Santosh had a busy season, season of life, and there's just a lot going on. So he let me write some of the questions down for some of the guests and kind of map out where the episodes could go. And that definitely triggered me to being like, oh my gosh, like I really miss podcasting. Like, I just find it so interesting to deep dive these people. And with the role I was currently in, not that I didn't get to deep dive the startups, But I didn't get to deep dive the founders on that personal sense in which you do with like a podcast guest. So that was definitely a huge realization. It was an awesome opportunity that Santosh let me do. And then I ran their social media, which is just part of their fellowship or was part of their fellowship. But since I've continued to take it over. And again, it's one of those things with the clay pots where it's just trial and error. And I just really love like pushing out a bunch of tweets. And if none of them got likes, I'd take them down. And then if if one of them got one person to comment, I would keep creating content like that until um, until every tweet I saw would get engagement. And that's kind of the process I went with that. And the team really liked it. I really liked it. So I decided to stay on and Run, uh, run Twitter and some of their other social media uh, accounts cool. as well.
0: Cool. A couple of questions on that. So I'm noticing a trend where you seem to document things publicly and yeah, <laughs> and uh, maybe hold people to the fire. Do are are people receptive to that? Like,
2: oh yeah, like,
0: okay. <laughs> I think cool so. Yeah. I don't know
2: about cool with that, but I think for a long period of time, I like a lot of people. I'm, I'm definitely in the middle between being a Gen Z. Um, like I'm on the cusp. So my parents, for example, my sister's six years younger than me and like was posting TikToks before it was even called TikTok, but it was called that Music right. If I yeah. was her age, my parents would be like, absolutely not. Like, don't put your face on the internet. And so now that I'm an adult and I'm kind of looking at the younger generation or like my sister who who's not even that much younger than me, I'm kind of realizing like, if I put myself on the internet m- just a little bit more than I'm comfortable with, people will start being a little bit more receptive because at the end of the day, I think people like to see that you're a real person. So me like struggling to get a job after college or I, so what happened after college is the week before the pandemic. And the only reason I remember that it was a week before the pandemic is I got to go on spring break because Penn State spring break was early. Week before spring break, I declined a job offer to go work at a big bank that I interned in and then declined another job offer at another big bank that I interviewed at being like, I don't want to go into uh, investment banking. That's not me. I don't like the finance industry. I-, I do like the finance industry. Let me preface this. I just didn't think I liked it um, when it was at a big bank. And I went into spring break being like, oh man, like I had that that cushy internship on my resume. Getting a job will be no problem. And of course, like right after spring break on the flight home, my mom's like, do you have hand sanitizer? Do you have a mask? And that's that's when the pandemic yeah. hit. So when I was able to document, I think like that journey of me like thinking I had it all set up, like I was like, I did everything right. And then having it all kind of like, really crash down like that. But being really public about that experience, I think not only people could relate to, but it was interesting to people like, oh, man, like, a lot of people that followed me on Twitter before were older than me. And were experiencing the pandemic in such a different way. Like, they already had jobs, and they were moving online. But not a lot of people I think were navigating the, uh, the actual job search platform when you don't even have anything on your resume. Like, all I had was that internship and like, the things I experienced in college, but no real job experience. And I think that, I think people thought it was entertaining.
0: Yeah. And I, that's, that's what I think is so fascinating about your entire story is like, it did come, come to fruition during one of the weirdest, the weirdest year of, (laughs) of the past century and, um, and, but leveraging content in order to, to build that career out is something that you've been able to do effectively. So. Now that you're on the other side of it a little bit, you're, you're now working for Jason and This Week in Startups and you're producing or, or acting as a producer along with the team with that show. How has that changed? Because obviously you can't just, when it's your show, you can make it all about, okay, Rachel is doing this and then just like t- call shots. Like I'm just gonna call out so-and-so and, 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 and explain that this is my process. Obviously the creative process has, has, has to shift a little bit when it's more, you're speaking from a brand perspective. So how do you think about that? How do you think about the creative process and integrating some of these new medias, formats, whatever to, to what you all are doing there with the show?
2: That's, it's, it's definitely really interesting. And I'm happy that I did have that fellowship at Dynamo to kind of give me that medium experience because the Dynamo platform is a lot smaller, obviously, than Jason Kalkanis' platform. His name is literally at Jason on Twitter. I mean, like you can't get any more, like you can't get any bigger than that. I feel like when you have your first name as your, as your uh, Twitter handle. So by being able to kind of learn, I don't want to say corporate, but kind of more on that corporate side at Dynamo and see how social media worked out in that aspect has definitely benefited my experience at this week in startups. However, I think at Dynamo, what was so interesting is I I knew 100% who our audience was. If you're interested in trucks, if you're interested in owning a Tesla, neither of which I'm very interested in, but I, like, I could make content for you because I knew right. exactly who was, who was interested. Whereas a podcast that has this weekend startups, which has thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening to it, it's a little bit harder to narrow down who exactly your audience is. And I think maybe that's kind of unique to podcasting because of course you get like your demographics, but in so many other um, industries, for example, if I was selling like B2B SaaS, exactly who's buying your product. Well, in promoting a podcast, it's kind of like a lot of people are interested in startups. A lot of... A lot of people are interested in like creating their own company and some people that listen could also just be fans of Jason. So the, the range of people that you're targeting on their social media accounts or when I'm helping write things up, maybe before the show is definitely a big switch, but Jason is an awesome boss. He definitely understands that it takes time and maybe doing that same thing, like I said before, just creating content and kind of seeing what works. He totally understands that like not everything is going to be a hit. You really just need one thing to be a hit, and then that lets you learn off of it. So, for example, he let me start a TikTok account. So, if anybody wants to, wants to follow this week startups on TikTok, Jason was like, "Do you like TikTok?" And I said, I'll, "Yes," and I'll figure it out. But it's definitely one of those things. It's like I've never made. I made like two TikToks before for my own podcast, and then kind of forgot about it to be honest with you. And now it's really fun, like learning a whole new platform and kind of trying to engage the the audience that is traditionally younger than his. A normal podcast listener and trying to see like what ties they have to the show, so it's definitely a learning experience. But in in the world of podcasting, I feel like everything kind of is.
0: Yeah, like you need to just like te- start furiously texting your little sister, right? Who, who <laughs> monitor <her> music, or, <laughs> right. Um, Get some tips. Yeah. So that's a, that, that's a good. I didn't really. We didn't we didn't talk about this beforehand, but that's a good segue. Kind of, what are you all seeing? Are you seeing anything specific? I guess that is driving promotion or driving listens more so than anything else when it comes to to new listeners?
2: Oh Man, when it comes to new listeners, I think something that I'm not sure if this is necessarily drove a lot of tra- traffic, but I think by having news on a segment, it's just super beneficial for any podcast. Anything that's like a current event that's happening, I love in a podcast. And our listeners have definitely... Um, reacted really, really well to Jason having news on the podcast almost every single episode. And that's because people want to know what's happening and they want to know his opinion. And I think people are really afraid nowadays of putting their opinions online, especially because of cancel culture. But I think that that's the way you get an audience, not necessarily to say something that risque that'll get you canceled, but having an opinion, especially on something that's a current event or maybe a prediction that's going to happen. Don't be too afraid of putting that out there because I think that, really, that content-wise really is interesting to people. I love hearing about other people's opinions, especially in podcast form, where I feel like I can go on a walk and get like totally zoned into it. Um, it's, not, it's not like the daily news, like it's not the today show he's doing. He's, he's giving his own opinion on what's happening. And I think that is just far more interesting than somebody reading off like what happened today in bullet form. I think that helps content wise drive, drive traffic, or I would assume it does because every time we have news on, it looks like a lot more people listen. And then I also think by, again, this is for every show, not even with Jason's, the having individual clips. So having something from the show that is just either a hot take or something that's really beneficial, I've started to take and put on TikTok. And I've noticed that there is a ton of those already up there. Um, Like this wasn't something new and innovative I've done. But for example, I think there's like a Joe Rogan podcasting Twitter account. And I don't even listen to Joe Rogan, but they always come up and they're these little snippets from those extremely long interviews that um, really do like just get people interested. And right. your whole podcast, like I said, it doesn't have to be super creative. It doesn't have to be super crazy. You really just have to have like one part that really drives people in and creates that value add.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I th- Just one note on the TikTok thing. I, th- I do think it's interesting because you, you say it's not innovative and I, I, it, I get what you're saying there, but if you talk to like 95% of business owners right now, They're like TikTok. I'm not like that's not for me. TikTok isn't for me, and I and I get it. I mean, to your point, it's the the younger thing. It was girls making lip syncing to songs. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that you're seeing shows like like I guarantee like Rogan doesn't care about what medium works as long as he's reaching his audience, which by the way is like what I don't know, 21 to 41 year old males. So the fact that that audience exists on TikTok and it has to, cause he wouldn't be using it otherwise, or some of the other brands, like there's, there's a one extremely viral brand. That's a, a guy that's like 21 or something like that. And he just lip syncs to 80s songs and he has a mullet and like, he's got the look of an 80s guy. And so all of these moms who are like in their forties and early fifties, love this kid <laughs> like to the point where the boy, it's weird, but it's like that is an extremely lucrative demographic—moms in their late whatever, early forties to, to early fifties—and again, they it wouldn't be working if that demo wasn't on the platform. So I, I, I totally uh, agree with you on your decision to to make that. And I hope more people follow that. But I wanted to just sort of maybe as we, as we wrap up, ask you, what else do you see, or are you excited about anything else in terms of new platforms, new projects you're working on, or, or anything else that just kind of has you revved up as you're trying out new, new, new media?
2: Yeah. So I think that something that I'm starting to see a lot more is younger people getting interested in the digital marketing space. And so if anybody that's younger is listening to this, I would urge them to really get a know on it before you graduate. Cause I feel even now, I kind of feel late to the game that I just started my career. It takes your Canva Pro, Pro costs like nothing a month. Like it's a very cheap yeah. subscription. I think I, I pay a hundred and something bucks a month. And that is work that I do on Canva Pro, for example, literally pays my rent. I get, I have a few clients on that and you get enough money. So if you are a young person and you're interested in content creation, I think the best thing you can do is start. And I think that there's too many people being hesitant on starting. Even if you're not young, if you're just anybody interested in content creation, I don't think there's enough people doing it. I think there are a lot of people that are trying to break into the space maybe of being like an influencer and stuff like that, which is cool, which is more of like a sales position and you're being the kind of like the catalyst for selling something. But everybody needs to sell something. It doesn't have to be something in that influencer space. I think when, especially when you see things like for example, I help run the social media at a dog training, a dog training company which is really local, like like a local place here. And we're starting to branch out and maybe get some like short videos to put on Instagram Reels. I think that she was so hesitant on starting it because she's like, "What happens if they don't perform well? Like, who is even gonna like watch watch like Instagram? Like, all the moms are on Facebook. And since we've started the Instagram account and really put a lot of time into Reels, her company's done so well. So. If I don't know necessarily if there's a new platform, but I do think that there's been an increase in maybe hesitation on just like hmm. putting yourself out there. That I would really, really like to see. Yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that the big takeaways from from everything we've talked about, but the first being consistency, like showing up and and just committing to that hundred days. Like I love that. I feel like I just need to. Go do the hundred day outreach, even though we have too many episodes lined up now. But I just want to do it for the exercise. Yeah, exercise of it. I think it's that's really powerful. And then, and then transparency. Like to your point, whether it be Jason talking about the news or the dog kennel talking about who, what Fluffy did
2: today. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like just being willing to have those conversations and not being worried so much about performance to your point is, is where a lot of people get hung up. So I think those are really good, really good notes to take away. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us. Thanks for sharing your, just your experience, your career arc so far. It's really exciting to watch what you've been doing and, um, and where, where should people catch up with you or, or, or follow you as, as you continue on?
2: Yeah. So on Twitter, I am underscore Rachel Braun, R-A-C-H-E-L-B-R-A-U-N. Also underscore Rachel Braun on TikTok and also underscore underscore Rachel Braun on Instagram. So same, same thing all across the board. And I think on Twitter I have that notion page that you were mentioning where I do talk yes. about things like um, digital marketing and I also have a recommendation list of all my favorite content that I've listened to or consumed. If anybody's yeah, interested we'll, in, yeah.
0: We'll link all of that, but specifically if you're listening. Do check out her Notion page. It's it's a it's got some really good resources, things that she's written. But also, you have that like uh almost like a I, I call it a content engine. Is I have a similar one in Notion. I don't know what you call yours, where you just it's all the articles and links yeah and books that you've.
2: I love you've giving read. recommendations. I love that's it. great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So
0: if you're interested in anything that we've been talking about today, make sure to check that out. Follow this week in startups. Follow the future supply chain, and and you'll see all of Rachel's handiwork out in the internet. Thanks so much for joining us, Rachel.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.